Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Alt Med podcast. Got Mitch Kurtz in the house as always. Literally. And none other than the zooted TikTok legend himself, <laughs> Cam from Halo Medical. Cam, welcome. Thank you. That was a beautiful welcoming. I've never been introduced as a zooted TikTok legend, but. Well, when you are one, you don't need to be introduced as one. It's kind of self uh, self. Uh, describing yeah. but all yeah. yeah. that you have business cards with that title on <laughs> well i ordered ten thousand, so i have to get rid of a few <laughs> should be right. enough for your followers um as per every episode we do we'd love to get to know the guest we have on our show um for all of those out there that aren't familiar could you give us a little bit of an introduction where you're kind of journey led you to medical cannabis where you were before this all of your yeah story to date all right so born and raised in montana in the united states in a little town called red lodge the foot of the beartooth mountains moved over to australia at the age of maybe 10 aussie mum and an american dad and we kind of went back and forth between countries mm. from then on so i've uh, been a it's been a multi-hemisphere journey thus far and then in the states super adventurous family dad owned a whitewater rafting company and so we spent most of our time out there and you know that's where you start to get exposed to things like this at a whitewater rafting company old <laughs> guides are, are hobbling around and i go what what is uh what does dan smell like that dad <laughs> you know, it's just it's just medicine <laughs> yeah totally and i then, fell out of the boat i need saving yeah, oil. Yeah. <laughs> and Growing up, being exposed to things, being uh, you know, raised in a safe and judgment-free environment that uh, helped to foster curiosity whilst not necessarily indulging things. So it's all about making it safe. And I remember dad was on opioids for his multiple surgeries he's had. So he's had a life of adventure. So three hip replacements, a couple of back surgeries, knee surgeries. Oh, um, yeah, kind of like a walking tin man. And when he came across medicinal cannabis, like delivered in a more strategic and informed way than traditionally, he was able to stop opioids. And so this was about 15 or 16 years old and having some curiosity myself and access to the internet. You know, Dr. Ethan Russo has been publishing studies for a long time. Mm. And so you hop on, you go, oh, well, let me find out what's going on here. And then the more you learn, the more you realize there is to know and then you see that, oh, we don't really know anything about what's going on here. You know, getting mm. on there, expecting an answer and then being given explanations that just lead to, to more questions. And that suits this. Um, so lucky enough to have a, a healthy hyperfixation in this regard. And so coming into Australia, wanting to do a nursing degree because I thought I could just travel with it. So at the time I was uh, doing photography as my work. And I thought, well, I can combine nursing and I'll be a travel adventure photographer and nurse. Just make it up as I go along. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a highly Instagrammable uh, title. <laughs> Brother, the algorithm shaped me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but then yeah, doing, doing nursing and getting on placement, seeing what could be done, seeing the way that things are done. Like from early days, it was tailored the care to the individual. It's all got to be patient tailored care. And I go, all right, I get this. Yeah, that makes sense. Everybody's different. Let's uh, apply our care to the individual, wrap it around their needs and goals. And then you get in the hospital and it's like, hey, everybody's 
being given the same thing right now? Is this, where's the, the personally tailored aspect of it? It's like, well, you say their name, don't you? I go, yeah. What more could you want? It's like, well, maybe we could start to uh, really think about what's going on here instead of treating this as a moment to, um, you know, to treat and diagnose something specific, take a, take a look at the bigger picture and give these people the tools they need to enact that self-care themselves. Because ultimately, no teacher will make you smart. No doctor will make you healthy. No trainer will make you thin. You have to save yourself. And so let's give these people the tools to do so. And cannabis is an incredible tool for that. And so during these nursing studies, I would do what I needed to do to get by my tests and exams there. And then I just spend the rest of the time learning about cannabis. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I thought, well, I can't open a cannabis company because I have a no money and B no experience as a literally a pipe dream, but we can find a, a back door into this place. And so hopping on LinkedIn, connecting with everybody that I could. And then I reached out to Dr. Russo and said, Hey, would you like to be on my podcast? not really expecting a response. And immediately he said, yes. And I was like, oh, okay. I have to figure out how to make a podcast now. And <laughs> figured out how to make a podcast as you do. And then dice up the clips, put it on LinkedIn. And, you know, you, you drop into that community, that, uh, that sphere of people that are all working towards the same thing. It's like LinkedIn is this crazy home where they not only allowed us to talk about these things, but actively encouraged it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where a lot of this, started that's, it's a collaborative space that is I, I that's that's certainly been my experience as well i mean everyone's just very passionate and and kind of just wants to share knowledge everyone's seemingly even when you feel like you know quite a bit you're always kind of thirsty for for more information and and i yeah i have to say i love that part of the community so how was um how was your chat with uh with ethan rosso the um the legend himself terrifying <laughs> I, I was I was so nervous borderline having a panic attack and I mentioned that to him within the first couple of minutes and he's he's a very chilled out guy <laughs> he loves what he loves he's got all his guitars in the back room and I said hey I'm, I'm really nervous and he's like don't be nervous let's go and uh the way that the way that he answers things as well because I'm so wrapped up and this is my first podcast ever I'm so engaged in what he's saying trying to uh, consolidate it enough to where I can formulate some kind of coherent response uh, that sometimes I wouldn't catch when he stopped speaking and go, Oh, that's, that's the answer. Okay. That's we're moving on now. Um, hmm. But he's a, you know, a wealth of knowledge and you tap into these resources, right? Like it's this, this person has been doing the work for 30 years through all of the trials and roadblocks of, of regulatory systems and now we get to leverage his work. We get to leverage all of those years uh, that he spent really in the trenches and we can you know, bring it to our patients. We can bring it into our care. And so from there, I interviewed as many people as I could. Um, and then I got in touch with Jim from Heyday Medical. He reached out to me on LinkedIn, gave me a call and we just we vibed out. Yeah, Let it's me. very easy to do that with Jim. It's so easy <laughs> to do that with Jim. Yeah, he's a legend. Um, yeah. We had a great chat with him on this very podcast, and and just had a yeah fantastic little to and fro. Um, oh, I imagine <laughs> it's making yeah. me think though. I want to get Dr. Ethan Russo, and that'll be amazing. I mean, I imagine he's pretty chill because he's got plenty of minor cannabinoids flowing around uh, in his <laughs> system. Possibly, who knows? A bit of few terps. That who, man, uh, yeah, his endocannabinoid tone would be harmonized 
<laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. So yeah, in sync with the what is it? The the right the the frequency of Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Human resonance. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? A few? Is it four? Four hertz off? Four yeah. Hertz? Yeah. Yeah. You gotcha. Um, yeah. That's that's really interesting. So, and that brings you to present day, where you're you're currently doing. Give us a, a bit of a rundown of a day in the life right now, because like we, we jokingly said zooted tiktok legend but you've kind of almost got a dub i don't want to say double life but you've got two two versions of cam that we see public facing and uh, i'd love to uh, extrapolate on that for the for the audience yeah i mean I, look i suppose that it could be two versions but it's really the same version it's just that one is more uh, uh niche the, the cannabis stuff getting into cannabis science the people that want to hear this education uh you know it's, it's different from uh, you know, this other philosophical stuff, it really does converge though, because, you know, right now we're at this time where the, all of these ancient philosophies and practices are being backed up by neuroscience. We're mm -hmm. seeing that, you know, these yogic practices tie into central nervous system regulation. They tie into endocannabinoid system upregulation. They tie into, you know, every aspect of our being and even the way that these ancient philosophers would look at the world and their, you know, the, the removal for desire and, you know, constant striving for acceptance, those things are backed up by neuroscience. And it helps us to see that there's no point in being given the metrics if you don't know how to change it. And philosophy is one of those things that we can morph into science and apply it in a really tangible way. And even though the, the accounts, the, you know, the social media stuff is different, it's really all comes into play when you're doing something like cannabis care, because this is a plant that can be a catalyst it's something that can expand perspective it's something that can induce self-change if you have some of the structures and guidance that allow you to to do that mm, it's yeah it's very interesting the way you present it like that i guess um what i'm interested in is as a result of being quite active on social media and then also quite active you know, on the coal face of dealing with patients, what, what are the, the types of things you're seeing day to day? Like, what are you seeing as uh, questions from patients? What are you concerned about that is being done, say, the right way or potentially not the right way in, in, in the current state of uh, medicinal cannabis in Australia? I think that we're really lucky because with this new emerging space, we have an opportunity to really engage in self uh, personally tailored care. Uh, mm. It should be a really holistic view of this person. And of course, that's, you know, it's very difficult to do if you're on 10 minute or even 15 minute consult cycles to get an accurate idea of what, you know, this person is presenting with, where they've come from, what they've tried, the, you know, the trials and errors and pitfalls of that process and, you know, where they want to go from here. Uh, it, it really takes that, that in-depth care. And this is, I think, you know, where, where nurses really come in because nurses are, are taught to care. That is that bedside manner. It is that, um, you know, that, that point of reference and communication that people can utilize in an accessible way as well. And mm. the things that are done, done well, I believe, are when an individual comes in and it's not just what, what strain can we provide this person with, what oil can we give them with. We'll start them off with the lowest dose and titrate up mindfully to find that, that therapeutic window but coming into it with, all right, what are your, what are your goals? What do you want to see done? And it's usually things like get a good night's sleep, um, have a day free from pain, 
but what what happens once you've had a, a day free from pain? What happens when you can move more fluidly? What happens when you've had a good night's sleep and you can function the next day? How you know how can we incorporate these these benefits into your life? And with something like cannabis, where you have you know a, a, maybe a pretty defined singular goal in the essence of somebody presents with their their primary uh, concern, we have these these side benefits that kind of shoot out the sides and and help to recorrect other imbalances, other aches and pains, other anxieties. And so if we can use that, uh, that personalized response to really tailor it to the individual and help them get the most out of it, then we have an opportunity to get some pretty amazing outcomes. Mm. Yeah. And, and what I was just going to say, what, what, um, what does constitute personalized care in, in cannabis? Like how do you personally tailor cannabis to a patient? Because I dare say there would be some people that have experienced um, care in cannabis that might be akin to your description earlier of the hospital kind of, you need this for everything kind of, it's just CBD, it's just THC, it's just this one product and that's it, see you later. Um, I'm not saying across the board, but I'm sure that that there would be people that would attest to that experience. So um, yeah, what what does personalized care really mean for you in the the context of cannabis? I think that, it's, it's all going to come from the patient outwards. Um, it starts off with, you know, their history, their presentation, what their actual needs are, and then what their goals are. So if you have an individual, it's just such a nuanced medicine because we're dealing with a very nuanced system. Um, we have hundreds of potentially bioactive compounds within cannabis, and we are also piloting a vastly complex physiological system that is comprised of four, far more than our components in isolation and depression is far more than serotonin ADHD is more than dopamine and so we have this heterogeneity to our systems and we have this wonderful plant that happens to kind of prop up those systems as well you know within cannabis obviously we have those those big guns CBD and THC and through their primary actions at the CB1 and CB2 receptor but we also have homeostatic actions across the, the TRPV1 receptors, the GPR receptors, the um, neurotransmitter and neuromodulator receptors that we have as well. So within cannabis, you might have those heavy hitters coming in and that's really what we look at, but it's, it's simplified too much. If somebody is experiencing ongoing anxiety, ongoing sleeplessness, then it's likely they're going to have a deficit in GABA, which is that inhibitory neuromodulator, our own natural anti-anxiety compound, GABA is tied to cortisol and glutamate and adrenaline. So when GABA is really low, there's no GABA to balance out the cortisol. And so you have these extended cortisol hikes and that puts somebody in a state of physiological, psychological distress. And so when somebody comes in, I'm going to be looking at the foundational needs of their, of their physiology. Can this person uh, benefit from some, some GABA, an endogenous compound? Can they benefit from some, some PEA, palmitoylethanolamide, that uh, endogenous cannabinoid? Can they benefit from some magnesium glycinate to help with their sleep? A lot of what we have here is, uh, you know, people coming in uh, expecting miracles and sometimes getting it for sure. And a lot of people, there's a, there's a lot of tweaking that needs to be done to find that sweet spot. Um, especially when people get excited and we have this, you know, the wonderful effects of the placebo coming in. I've, you know, heard incredible outcomes off of a couple of drops of CBD. And a lot of what that tells me is that that person's mind is strong enough to induce that, uh, that positive effect. But if we're not looking at the whole person, then we could be masking things that could be dealt with 
potentially quite simply. Yeah. And it's kind of, I'm just interested in that thing about how some patients come in expecting miracles. I suppose there's probably a tendency among those who work in the industry that, you know, we've heard all the, the feel good stories and that sort of thing. But in my experience, having, you know, met um, a few people in my time who suffer from chronic illness, <clears throat> I don't know if they are expecting miracles. I guess this is a general just query about the, the state of mind and the disposition of people when they arrive at, at heyday for the first time. But, you know, when I've met people who are chronically ill, they're like, I guess, because the human, you know, humans are so adaptive. They've just adapted to the, whatever condition they're living with. They're kind of, this is, you know, begrudgingly, okay, I'll try something new again, but I've tried like 10 things before, you know, I, I'm already just feeling defeated. I don't, I'm not expecting anything from this. Is that something you come across a lot or most of the time people coming in and they're kind of like, oh, medical cannabis, this is exciting. I want to give it a crack. That's a fantastic point. We definitely get those people in. Um, it's a Hail Mary. It's a last resort. And a journey like that often layers in its own cynicism and almost a healthy cynicism because pinning your your hopes of happiness on you know this this next thing is a is a recipe for disappointment and a lot of these people have experienced that disappointment so consistently mm. that uh, they definitely bring that into you know these sessions with them a lot of these people have not had advocacy a lot of these people have been pushed to the sides by medicine because they were too difficult to treat or because their copy paste treatments weren't working and there is an element of hopelessness that comes in with these people that you need to address in a realistic way, but in a hopeful way as well, because we want to encourage that person. And, you know, everything is a combined effect of what you do and what you think about what you're doing. And so if you can help to give people those, those structures and we have the information to, to back up what we're saying as well. So it adds that, that level of, of credibility to it. It is definitely, it's a, it's a split. It's um. Some people get in there because they've seen a Daily Mail headline about CBD <laughs> curing something. Yeah. And <laughs> Daily Mail has done a lot of that. People read Daily Mail? I didn't know this. On Facebook, they do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's, uh, <laughs> and we get that cohort. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And we're happy to have that cohort. You know, what? So <laughs> Daily, Daily Mail readers go on down to heyday. But uh, to our okay. well, let's, let's dive in with some, uh, I guess, you know, anonymized anecdotes i want to hear from the cold face can you give me maybe just just some examples so you know our listeners get a feel of kind of what it's like to to be a nurse in a clinic and you know the good the bad the ugly whatever wherever you want to take this cam the floor is yours all right well the good is that it really is a a transformative medicine and i'm talking about uh, when the element of thc is added in particularly not that you can't get great outcomes with CBD only. And there are a lot of people that are prohibited from using THC because of driving regulations, mm -hmm. but particularly when THC is added into the mix, there are a few things that, that happen here that really no other medicine can do. THC can, can modulate the emotional response to pain, the emotional response to trauma, which means that when, that pain inevitably arises because we're not curing anything, but we can alter the perspective so that when that pain does come up, there's some distance between the awareness and the pain itself. Instead of feeling everything and being it and identifying with it, if we can take a step back and be able to move through it. So it helps 
give people the capacity to engage in the things that, that really make a lasting difference. And that's what we need to be focusing on is not, um, you know, what, what products are we going to put this person on for life, but what products are going to get the greatest outcomes? Because when that person feels good enough to engage, they might just engage. And it's a numbers game. And you know, sometimes it takes, you know, weeks or many sessions to, um, you know, get that person to finally make that decision. Cause it's a, you know, it's a difficult decision to make. Sometimes the change is, is difficult, especially when you've been in a rut for a long time. Mm. My, my personal favorites, I love, I love conditions like ASD. I love conditions like, like ASD because a lot of the time you're not just, uh, you know, dealing with that individual patient, you're dealing with their, their family and their friends and their network and the, you know, the other people in their care team and conditions like, uh, like ASD, they can usually have profound, profound shifts and very quick shifts. And the person caring for that, that individual, a lot of times they get their life back as well because they're not spending all day trying to, uh, you know, care for somebody that can be very challenging to care for in terms of behavioral disturbances and mood dysregulation and an inability to deal with, uh, with sensory overload, introducing a medicine like this that can kind of pump the brakes on all of that and make existing a more tolerable experience that, uh, that has profound benefits on not just the individual, but everybody involved um, conditions like fibromyalgia. So these conditions, we see that there's a, a theme where all of them at some point have been correlated with an endocannabinoid deficiency. And when we introduce these external phytocannabinoids, we almost help to prop up those, those missing pieces, fibromyalgia, endometriosis, PTSD, especially PTSD just responds so well to, mm. to cannabis. And now part of that again, is that the modulation of the emotional response to that. If we can take away the, uh, a little bit of the direct identification and um, intertwining of that self with that condition, then we grant greater space for perspective and that perspective can help to uh, lead to new decisions, mindsets. Mm. And I'm just interested. So like when you're t talking about that in the context of this personal care, it sounds kind of like, you know, matching, let's say almost like matching strains to people, like finding that kind of profile personalization, let's say. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And also, um, uh, you know, basically how, I guess, how a strain is different in, in how a different strain, the same strain, let me get this straight. The same strain can affect different people differently and different strains can affect different people differently. So I'm, yeah, I'm very curious um, to get your perspective on that. So it's something that starts off as an abstract science that becomes more refined as that patient gains further experience and uh, mm. they can try new medicines in a, uh, in a safe and mindful manner. Mm -hmm. It's uh, th those first few products, they are, you try to make it as informed as possible. And something that I'll do sometimes as well is I'll, I'll ask somebody about their favorite sense, their favorite natural sense. Uh, is it, um, you know, people tell me about a pine forest that they lived near growing up as a kid. They tell me about their uh, mom's perfume that they wore. They tell me about, uh, they love the smell of lavender. And so I'll kind of take those, those factors and bring them into the practice by associating the terpenes of those natural aromas, because 
your, your nose knows, and we're not at a stage yet in Australia where we can allow people access to these products with their nose. Mm. You can tell pretty immediately whether something is going to be a good fit for you by smelling it. The, the nose can distinguish over a trillion smells. And when this information comes in through our um, factory center, it, it bypasses the prefrontal cortex and goes straight to this amygdala and hippocampus where we store these emotional memories. And so smell can be a really strong trigger for something. You know, everybody's had a moment where they, they walk past the scent and it triggers this nostalgia. Yeah. Not really sure where it's coming from. It kind of just presents itself in, in colors instead of any distinct imagery. You're not sure, but it's making you feel something. And that's the same with this plant. There are elements of, uh, you know, the constituents in these plants that they can trigger that response. Um, so the goal, because we don't have the ability to use our nose, we try and tailor it to the individual in that regard. So I'm, you know, we might consider starting somebody off with a, uh, you know, an approachable profile with linalool and limonene, something that, you know, is going to potentially have some action at the GABA receptors, inducing a little bit more of that anxiolytic effect, and then some serotonergic uh, uh, affinity and give them a little bit more uh, peaceful happiness. And so if we can use that to make the THC more tolerable, round off the edges a little bit. Um, generally, if we're looking at somebody who's, who's THC naive and they've never really had this before, or maybe they had a joint in the 90s and they had an awful time. And so there's that fear response that's been consolidated. They're, they're scared mm. of THC. But weed was, to be fair, weed was so much worse in the 90s. Let's just that <laughs> bad. Uh, it depend, depends where you were. <laughs> it's pretty bad in Geelong. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would have been pretty bad because you're in primary school then. But that, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to know how that uh, how that went because um, I'm not sure what. Uh, yeah, actually, curiously, that's a good question. Like, what is you know we hear? I'm going to take it on a quick tangent based off that. Funnily enough, as a nurse um, or somebody, let's say a healthcare professional in in the space, you know, we often hear you can't give it to somebody under 18, but at the same time, the reason it was basically granted access in Australia is for, you know, pediatric patients with epilepsy. Sure. More on the CBD side. What is the safety profile for, for that that cohort under 18s? Like there's, there's a lot of, obviously the advice is if you're breastfeeding, um, or pregnant, do not take it. If you're, you know, a child, you should not have access to it. But cognitive development, all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And, and yeah, I'm just curious to get your take on um, really, you know, not without incriminating yourself. <laughs> just um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That that safety yeah. profile um, in in a day to day terms. You know, what light you can shed. So the endocannabinoid system is one of the first things that develops in the human. In, in everything. It's this ancient primordial system that um, you know, it, it eclipses many of other systems in terms of age. And it's also highly influenceable. <clears throat> a surge of THC binding to CD1 receptors and potentially disrupting the natural production of anandamide at an early age could certainly have some effects in terms of that person's ability to produce anandamide on their own. And then that's a tricky situation because if they're not producing that, then they're just going to be so much more likely to, to utilize THC. And there are concerns about, uh, about cannabis and the growing adolescent brain. Uh, the studies are conflicting. Some say that uh, they, you drop IQ points 
and some say that you drop IQ points and that's a temporary, a temporary effect. And when the cannabis use ceases, those IQ points come back. And some of them show cohorts of, of young students that not only do they regain those IQ points, but they actually go higher than average, which comes into this, the, the th multitude of factors that go into why a person might use cannabis. And I think that we need to seriously consider whether the use of cannabis in a strategic and monitored and observable way is more harmful than what that person might engage in or do without that cannabis. And we do yeah. look at the, the number to treat versus the number to harm. The number to treat for cannabis is pretty low and the number to harm is very, very low. With these other drugs, we have such a narrow therapeutic index that the number to treat and the number to harm are close to each other. And we don't really ask about the, you know, the side effects of, of SSRIs and these other you know, heavy duty, you know, benzodiazepines, mood stabilizers, um, amphetamine-based medications. We're not really looking at whether those side effect profiles are uh, comparative to cannabis, which mm -hmm. is silly. We should be asking questions about absolutely everything. Yeah, I think that we, we don't know for certain in relation to, to any of this stuff. And it really has to be personally tailored patient by patient. Uh, we're not here to perpetuate any addictions. And these kids will, at the age of 18, be able to go and buy alcohol, which is absolutely guaranteed brain death of cells. So which one is the, uh, are we talking about lesser evils? Are we just trying to find a suitable arrangement for these people? And then the individuality of the endocannabinoid system, you do have some people that come across THC and they feel like it fits a gaping hole in who they are and how they feel. They feel normal for the first time. And we absolutely have differences in our endocannabinoid tone, the expression of how many CB1 receptors somebody has in their brain, uh, what their baseline serum level of uh, you know, anandamide is, what the capacity is to release these, these components. And the system can be upregulated through exercise and positive social connections and uh, healthy diets. But some people find cannabis is the thing that works for them. So just... Playing, playing devil's advocate a little bit here, but arguably isn't part of that, um, you know, when you're talking about, let's say, tr traditional first-line therapies, SSRIs, these types of things, arguably is their usage not more predictable in terms of the outcome on a, on a you know, across the board? Maybe it's there are a few people it's different for, but you can almost be guaranteed that if a patient takes X, they're going to have Y response. Um, is, is that, or is not that not the case in, in your view? I'm just curious. I'm, I'm not yeah. suggesting it is either way, but I'm, they're, they're generally really consistent. A lot of those medicines are really consistent. They've been, they've been perfected over, you know, years, um, of these studies. The outcomes are quite often predictable. The side effect profiles vary from person to person. And if you're, you know, a 17 year old kid and you're taking an antidepressant that completely kills your sex drive and libido, that's not a very good place to be, but we don't really talk about that because it's just a side effect as long as you're not depressed, but you know, the, the apathy and the anhedonia and the lack of motivation that can come with these things, especially SSRIs, serotonin. Serotonin is the keep me here chemical. When serotonin is released, it's a beautiful sunset. It's walking along the beach with your friend. It's a, it's a beautiful moment that you want to extend. Um, and that can be difficult when you layer in 
an SSRI increasing that uh, that serum concentration of serotonin, which wants to keep that person there. We want to get people moving. We want to get people feeling good enough to where they can engage in the things that will make the difference. Um, and I don't think there's enough aftercare in that regards. I don't think there's enough aftercare on how you can recorrect somebody's potential serotonin deficiency and also get them engaged in dopaminergic activities that will get them off the couch and get them to go and pursue. Okay. I could ask a, just a really generic question because somebody asked me this the other day and I, I honestly couldn't tell them at kind of what dose does, cause you hear about people, you know, recreationally using cannabis and having the munchies and that sort of thing. But I've kind of rarely heard patients report that they've, you know, gone down and ordered 15 strawberry sundaes from McDonald's, usually 14, but no, but like they, they kind of, it's, it's just on something that's widely reported. So I guess my question is, is, is it the fact that say, if somebody is suffering acute pain, the most important thing by having THC is just overcoming that episode of pain and they're not really thinking about anything else. Or do you actually have some patients that they're getting a lot of therapeutic value out of what they're taking, but do have this other thing where they get very hungry, sleepy. What, what's your kind of experience as, you know, THC as a medicine? Cooked, cooked, we refer to, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it, look, it absolutely happens. Um, that's that list of side effect profiles. And what we want to do with every person that comes in, it's you are trying to establish their individual therapeutic dose. And that dose is the dose at which they experience uh, the benefits that they're seeking without experiencing any side effects that they personally deem as intolerable. For some people, the munchies are intolerable. Um, they, they become something that they don't recognize and that's, is scary. And it, no one wants to feel like they're out of control. Um, there are differences to the way that people administer these things as well. If you're using it for sleep and you, you dose it late enough at night to where by the time those effects really kick in, you're not going to get up and go eat something. Um, but the other aspects of, you know, daytime administration, Certainly the munchies can come into play, um, but we want to keep these doses as low as possible because it, generally the more THC there is, the more, the, yeah, the hungrier people get. And we can balance this out by looking at different strain profiles. Something that is high in humulene is definitely, or is generally not really going to induce um, that much munchies. But I've found that strains that are really high in, uh, in, in limonene and pinene can can induce munchies as well. So if that's something that that individual wants to negate or find the way around, then it comes down to that, that individual tailoring. I, I've always been looking for a scientific explanation as to why I go more for the pinene and, and limonene strains, but uh, yeah, you just answered it. Which, which, um, which strain makes you want Tim Tams? I actually need to know <laughs> for Andrew's sake. Because... Anything Australia grown. Yeah. <laughs> yes very good lathered very in good. You might. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine makes me want lamingtons apparently but anyway <laughs> um no that's very interesting i mean look we we talk about it i think that there's a good segue because there was something i wanted to ask you in terms of we talk about cannabis is almost this miracle drug sometimes it helps this it helps that it helps pain anxiety sleep uh, neurological disorders um you know sexual health all sorts of stuff Curious to know what what doesn't it do? Like in terms of who comes to the clinic potentially and says, "Hey, I'd like to try it." And you're like, "It's not for you." 
Mm. Um, is there a, is there a profile of a patient or are there specific indications where you're just like, people think it helps this, but it's not actually, there's, there's actually better stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Very curious about that side of things. Cause we, we give it a lot of, um, you know, positive air on here, but, but I, I think it's important to balance that out. Um, I think that, uh, osteoarthritis yeah. is, is not very responsive, yeah, I, especially yeah, I the CBD. Like CBD you doesn't you really touch the edges. Like heavy duty anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we find endocannabinoids are, are a good, you know, option there trying to modulate that inflammatory cascade at the very start, which is part of what endocannabinoids do. Um, but osteoarthritis, it's a, it's a different type of pain in cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like t- THC can do it, but is it, is that THC actually alleviating pain or is it uh, again, Masking. modulating that emotional response so that you're just not as aware of it anymore, mm-hmm. which that's a way of alleviating pain. I think there are lots of different pathways that we can take to, to achieve these outcomes. And, um, meditation, meditation. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, getting people involved in meditation, especially people with anxiety, depression, um, THC's ability to help you kind of neutralize intrusive thoughts during meditation allows for that greater um, control, that response over how you feel instead of just reacting to everything. Anxiety is a tricky one because we can definitely have an inverse uh, you know, response with THC. A little bit of THC for anxiety might uh, help increase sociability, receptiveness, uh, general mood, but a little bit more THC uh, can induce significant anxiety mm, yeah no it's interesting i, I know so for example rheumatoid arthritis is is you know a prime candidate uh but but i, I agree the osteo i've i've seen mm. firsthand with people i know it's uh, having a different um and we, which also brings me another I'm, I'm loving the segues at the moment but but it brings me to the, the next thing i really wanted to find out from you is um would love to hear any standout stories that you've come across where you're just like wow that is that is just a great story within within the sphere. Like you, you must see all sorts of situations, people, types, obviously anonymized. But um, yeah, would love to uh, would love to get that. Uh, I had a one of my favorite patients this week. Can I say that favorite patients? Don't take offense to any of my other patients. You're all anonymous anyway. Um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll name her. I'll name her patient Annie. She, Annie's son, um, nonverbal autism. Uh, just a horrendous lifetime of treatments that were largely ineffective uh, and pretty just uh, incompassionate um, at, at kind of a wit's end, uh, wanting to provide her, her son something, something of a quality of life and started him on uh, CBD, uh, a full spectrum CBD, and started to see a, a good outcome and then um, introduced a, a balanced oil, a balanced blend. And he went from having, he would be constipated for six, seven, eight days in a row. He would never sleep. He couldn't really eat anything. Much of his day was just dominated by this persistent emotional um, extremism. And it was night and day, like literally a, a different human being, a different person. Um, <clears throat> you know, he can communicate his needs to her. He can, he smiles, he laughs, he's, uh, sort of going sailing. He swims every Tuesday. He goes to social clubs and meetings. It's uh, he's, he's in a community now. He has friends. And then uh, the, the, the patient's mom herself, she had um, fibromyalgia, long time fibromyalgia and thought, well, I might as well uh, try this out too. And went on the same blend at, and, and experienced a, a profound shift in her pain as well. So it's like they both at the same time 
not even reclaimed because that, that life wasn't really there. They've stepped into a new life for both of these people, which is a beautiful thing because every time, every time we catch up, it's just it glowing, heartfelt praise. And it's so authentic and it's so genuine. Uh, she books consults just to say hello and say thank you again. I was like, you, you said thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, that's that gratitude. Um, yeah. Well, no, Cam, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. I, I know you've got a hustle. I don't know if it's whitewater rafting. I know you're going to America very soon as well. But, uh, but Andrew's yeah. and, Andrew's playing coy. He he left his um, <laughs> he left his charger at the office and he's on eight percent. And if we don't shut this down now, he's going to lose the whole recording. So that's that's the truth. We we had yeah, so much more to talk so to. Pressure to find my charger, but thank you, Mitch. Well, boys, <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for the chat. We'll do it again soon and have fun in America camp. Absolutely. Thank Most you, boys. Most ending. Thanks for that heartfelt story. We'll catch you later, mate. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. All right. Yes. You're done, Mitch. You're out. <laughs>